Jesus, there is uh, no other name over this body of people. The name of this church will burn up in the radiance of your glory, so it's not worth lifting up. Our own names will just be remembered on a stone over our dust, and so our names aren't worth lifting up. But there's one name that will echo throughout eternity. We believe in that name. We look to that name and we lift up that name today. So Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would let it be a lamp unto our feet for those of us who are looking for direction. Show us the next step. For those of us who are in, turn the wrong way, turn us the right way today. And those of us who just need a push, we pray that you would come behind us strong and sure. We need a word from God and not the trivia of men today. So rescue us from man's words and speak to us like we're your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's say it together, church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You can have a seat. And thanks for being here. Man, so glad you're here. Welcome to Bayou City Fellowship. Why don't you turn to the person on your right and say, I'm glad you're here. Now, I have seven points today. Seven. So why don't you turn to the person on your left and say, God help us. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We've been making our way through Colossians. The Gospels tell a story about Jesus and the disciples getting into a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. And as they get in, it says in the Scripture that Jesus falls asleep, which if you've ever been in a boat, you know this is not a big shocker. Amanda and I were on a boat in the Pacific Ocean uh, this summer, and I fell asleep because just the something about the rocking of the waves is very gentle, puts you to sleep, and so Jesus is asleep. Well, as he's asleep, this giant storm comes upon the boat, and the disciples are totally freaked out, and so they wake up Jesus, and the scripture portrays Jesus' attitude as being like halfway annoyed that they woke him up and that they're bothered and afraid of this. And so he steps to the front of the boat and he calms the storm and the wind and the waves. And the disciples say to themselves, who is this that can calm the storms, who can calm the wind and the the waves? Now, the disciples had a a lot of experience with Jesus. They, They knew he was an amazing teacher. They knew that he had the power to perform miracles. But they had this moment where it was like, He's even more unbelievable than we even knew. He's bigger, more glorious, more grand, more powerful, more authoritative than even we knew. And that's what we're hoping for today. Because all of us need moments like that as followers of Jesus. Where we interact with the Word of God or we're among the people of God in a a worship moment, sitting under the truth of God. We need these moments in our life where we go, Jesus is even better than I thought and I thought he was great. I thought he was amazing, but I didn't know he was that amazing. 
And my prayer is today that when we leave, that the words on our lips today, whether you are here for the very first time and this is your first experience with Jesus in a long time, or you are a seasoned saint, that all of us would leave today going, who is this? Who is this that we've decided to follow? When I was a boy, I went to Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Eureka Springs is like the Las Vegas of Arkansas, so uh, just to just put it, put it in perspective for us. And I went there with uh, my grandparents and the, my whole family because we were going to a passion play. I don't know if you uh, know what a passion play, but in Arkansas, in Missouri, where I grew up, a passion play is, is the portrayal of Jesus' last week. Uh, but it's outside. It's a very grand spectacle. And so we got onto the, prop- the property of this big amphitheater. And as we're walking out of the parking lot, there's this giant statue of Jesus. I mean, it's humongous. It, it looks uh, just like the one in Rio de Janeiro, the one that kind of looks over the whole city there. And so it's just a massive statue of Jesus there in this parking lot of Eureka Springs, Arkansas. And we took family photos. And, you know, I'm, I'm there with my sister and my mom and dad and everybody. And they're taking pictures. And I'm wearing a fanny, pe- you know, fanny pack because this is, a, this is the late 80s, early 90s. And that's just what you did. I didn't even have anything in and I was just rocking it for style's sake, you know, for style. So we got the pictures and I just remember thinking how big this statue is, obviously representing how big Jesus is. He's the Lord over everything and we go into the amphitheater and the play starts and I remember this one specific moment. Jesus has been arrested and, and now they're beating him and, and I don't know what kind of special effects they were using, but as they were whipping this actor, like I could feel it in my chest. And I remember the, the two pictures. The statue that Jesus is large and huge and reigns over everything. But as he was being beaten there, it felt very personal to me. Like somehow that was for everyone, yes, but the, that beating that he was taking, that, that was also for me. And that's what we're going to see in Colossians chapter 1 today. That Jesus is both things. He's bigger, more glorious, more grand, more of a Lord and King than even what you and I have imagined. But it's in a very personal way. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, and all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of of his cross. So we're going to look at seven things. These are seven reasons why I follow Jesus. Seven reasons why you should follow Jesus. Number one, when I see Jesus, I see God. When I see Jesus, I see God. That's what it says in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. See, our culture has a way of shaping how we think about God. Turn your television on and, and you will hear the, the word God mentioned over and over again. But it's, it's never clear and it rarely represents the God that we see in the scripture. But our culture refers to him all the time. 
So that can cloud how we think about God. Not intentionally, but just by the fact that we live in culture, it clouds and shapes how we think about God. And then you take our flesh and our fear and our insecurity, those also shape how we think about God. When life is difficult and we can't see the way through it, that shapes how we think about God. And because he's invisible, it's hard to correct our thinking. But it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, in the scripture, specifically in the Old Testament, God is telling his people over and over again that they should not worship idols. In fact, it even makes its way into the Ten Commandments. You should not make a, a graven image. They, they, you shouldn't worship idols. Now, everyone else around Israel, all these neighboring nations, they worshiped idols. And it makes sense. Why? Because it's hard to worship an invisible God. If you had some kind of representative of that God, if you have some kind of statue that you could look to, that you could pray to, that you could turn to, that would sometimes be helpful. But God is, God is invisible, and so they, they would make these idols. And God says to his people, even though I'm the one true God, I'm not these false gods of these neighboring nations, but I'm the one true God, but I still don't want you to make an image of me to worship. Why? Because he knew that the perfect image was coming. He knew that the perfect representation was coming. That Jesus was coming. The image of God. And how could a statue or a figurine accurately represent who God was, but Jesus could? He is the revelation of God. So when you see Jesus, you are seeing God. So as our culture shapes how we think about God, as our flesh and insecurity and fear shapes how we think about God. When you are tempted to wonder what is God like, you don't have to search very far. You just look to Jesus. When you feel like God does not care for you, you look to Jesus and see how Jesus does care for people. When you, when you are a question whether or not that God is looking out for your best interests, you look to Jesus to show that he does care about people, that he does look out for people, not just his grand plan. Jesus is the image of God, and when we see him, we see God. Number two, we follow Jesus because he holds everything together. Look what it says in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Now when it says that he's the firstborn over all creation, it doesn't mean that Jesus was born first. That's not what that means, because Jesus was not born. The scripture says that he has been from the beginning. In fact, it's going to say that in just a second. He was in the beginning. Firstborn here means that he has a privilege, that he has a rank, that he has an authority that is above all of creation. In fact, all of angelic creation. That's in verse 16. That's the the visible and invisible thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. Even the angels submit to Jesus. He is over everything. It's the same thing that John talks about in his gospel in chapter 1 when it says all things were made through him. And then look what it says here. And it says that were made through him and for him. 
This uh, last summer, Jackson and I, my uh, eight-year-old son, took a road trip to California. We were doing a man trip, and, and so we drove from Texas all the way to Los Angeles. This is a long, long trip, in case any of you are thinking about undertaking it. Uh, and so we were, we were driving uh, down I-40, which used to be Route 66, because that's kind of, you know, I'm a nerd. I already told you I wore a fanny pack once, so it's, you know, obviously driving down Route 66 would be something that I would do. Uh, not with a fanny pack, though. Um, and so we're driving by the Grand Canyon. I'd never seen the Grand Canyon Jackson had obviously never seen the Grand Canyon, so we're like, we're, gonna, we're right here, we'll, we'll drive. And so we were spending the night in Holbrook, Arizona, and we get up, that's the day we're going to go see the Grand Canyon. And, and so we go to a donut shop because I'm super healthy and vegan. And, uh, and in the donut shop, this man comes in and he says, hey, I see that your license plate's from Texas. Uh, I used to live in Texas. We get in this conversation, and so I'm telling him what we're doing. He goes, oh, you're going to the Grand Canyon. Don't go the way that everyone else goes. You want to go the more scenic route. You want to take this different route. So he tells me this road to take that I guess only locals know about. And, uh, and so I'm like, okay, you know, if you can't trust a guy in a donut shop, I don't know who you can trust <laughs> in this world. And so we turn off of the interstate onto this road that he told us. And, I mean, we feel like we're driving forever, and we're in the middle of nowhere, and it's like the the, the the mountain, the, it's just scenery is changing, we'll be in mountains, and now we're in a desert, and we're back to mountains, and we're just driving, and I'm starting to get worried, like, I'm not seeing any signs, I'm not seeing the Grand Canyon, I'm, feel, I'm afraid I might actually fall into the Grand Canyon, because that's how in the middle of nowhere we were, but all of a sudden, we're driving, and there it is on the right, just out of nowhere, like there were people's houses, and then there was the Grand Canyon, and so we stop and pull over, I mean, this is one of the most unbelievable things that I've ever seen in my life, maybe you've been there, we ended up going to the visitor center, you know, where the rest of the tourists go, and you see all these people with their backpacks on, and they're going to go hike down. We were headed to Los Angeles that night, and so we didn't have time, plus I'm lazy, so we definitely weren't walking all the way down to the bottom, but they were. So I just imagine that maybe you're one of those people, you're healthy and fit, and you, you want to go all the way down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and stand next to the river there. You get down there, and everybody else is gone. You find a little cave. Just imagine if you could speak to the Grand Canyon, and it could speak to you back. And you said to the Grand Canyon, why do you exist? If the Grand Canyon could talk, it would say, Jesus. I exist for Jesus. In the Yellowstone Valley up in Montana and Wyoming, there's a bird called the nutcracker bird. Um, and it has one specific job. It has this symbiotic relationship with the white bark pine. See, this is science. Merry Christmas. The white bark pine tree. And the white bark pine tree, right before winter starts, drops its cones. Well, this one bird there in the Yellowstone Valley has a beak that's perfectly shaped to get the seeds outside of the cone. And the bird is storing up seeds for winter. And so it takes the seeds out, puts them on the ground, and then collects the seeds in its mouth. It's able to carry up to 150 seeds in its mouth at one time. It goes about 15 miles away, buries uh, the seeds 10 at a time, and covers them up with a rock. And all winter long, that bird can go back and find its holes uh, with the rock covered over, even in the snow, to find its seeds. But the bird doesn't take all of the seeds. It leaves some. And those seeds spread out in the Yellowstone Valley to make sure that the white bark pine multiplies. How unbelievable is that? In the middle of nowhere, birds that no one's even ever heard of or cares about have this amazing relationship. And if you went to those birds and trees and you had the moment to speak to them and you say, why do you exist? They wouldn't say, because of the rhythm of nature... They would say, we exist for Jesus. 
everything was created through him and for him. You were created today through Jesus and for Jesus. And then it says, and he is before all things, verse 17. And in him all things hold together. Your skin is made up of millions of individual cells. So your skin is not really skin. It's just billions of cells all moving together. Your thinnest layer of skin is your eyelid, and your thickest layer of skin is in the palm of your hand. So I want you to find a part of your body, any part, and I want you to pinch yourself. Just pinch yourself and kind of pull on it right there. Come on, participate. If you want to do your eyelid, that's the thinnest part. If you want to do your... If you want to pinch your neighbor, that's fine. Just make sure you know him. Your your, your skin, made up of millions and millions and millions of individual cells. And so you would think that when you pulled on those individual cells, that it would just fall apart. But it doesn't. You know why? Because Jesus is holding all things together. And what this means, that you can pull yourself apart, means... That you can't pull yourself apart, it means that you're not the Lord of your life. It means you are not the top authority in your life. He holds all things together today. If you held all things together and you wanted to pull on your skin, you would be able to do it. But you are not. You are not the one holding everything together. Which is good news for your soul, bad news for your ego. Your soul, your inner man, it doesn't want to be responsible for holding everything together. In fact, I would guess after a couple of weeks or months of you feeling like you are the one holding everything together, you come home and you just have a breakdown. I can't do it. I I, I can't do it. I can't run the kids everywhere. I can't work and come home and work. I can't do all this together. I can't handle the stress. I can't hold our extended family together. But you're not supposed to. And it's good news that he's the one who holds all things together. So we want to just receive his lordship today. Just receive it, that he is the Lord. We can't hold ourselves together scientifically or emotionally. You can't hold your mouth in check. You can't hold your emotions in check. And neither can I. But he can. He holds everything together. And that's why we follow Jesus. Number three. He leads the church, and the church blesses us. He leads the church, and the church blesses me. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. So it says he's the head. That means he is the authority. He is the leader of the church. Now, I would guess that you agree with that part. He leads the church. The part that you might disagree with is the church blesses me. In fact, I heard a story this week of, of someone who had spent their entire life believing in God but not believing in the church and really kind of set out church. And so you start trying to uncover why they would not be a part of a church even though they believed in God and said they believed in Jesus. And what, what's the story? The story is, well, I knew this one person and they said this and they hurt me. How many of you, just show of hands today, have been hurt by the church? Just show it by somebody in the church, by a Christian church. You're raising my pie, bold. I'm raising my hand, yeah. Listen, this is what I tell people, and this is not very compassionate. If you have not been hurt by the church, you're not going enough. (laughs) 
Because, I mean, look around. This room is full. 500 people-ish, something like that in this room. Right? All people. All people. No aliens among us. No animals. Right? All people. And the best part of church? People. The worst part of church? People. The best part of your job? People. The worst part of your job? The people. Best part of your family? People. The worst part of your family? People. So the idea that we would be able to be a church family, which is what we here are here, and human beings coming together into the same rooms over and over and over again, getting to know one another, loving one another, having relationships, caring for each other, and there not be the occasional misunderstanding, there not be the occasional thing that came out of your mouth and you're like, oh my gosh, I wish I could pull that back, I'm so sorry. The idea that we could gather over and over again and love one another and not hurt each other is, is, is unrealistic. We are people, and honestly, the reason that we are in this room is because we've come to a moment in our lives where we realize we cannot hold everything together, that we are not the Lord of anything, and that we are in need. And needy people hurt people. So hurting each other, unfortunately, is just fruit of being together. But for the one time I've been hurt, there's been a thousand times that I've been blessed. For the one time that somebody hurt your feelings, there were seven meals coming to you when your family member died. For the one time that somebody gossiped about you, there was a thousand times that somebody was lifting you up behind your back, talking about how amazing you were. So yes, if this is your first time in church, I want to tell you, if you stick around long enough, you will get your feelings hurt. But compared to how you will be blessed, how you will be loved, how you will be cared for. It's worth the pain. And we follow Jesus because he leads this church and every church, and the church blesses us. Number four, he was before and has authority over what is next. He is before and has authority over what is next. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. It says he was in the beginning. Now the reason that the Apostle Paul is referencing him being in the beginning is to bring up his authority. It's the echo of John chapter 1 again when it says in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. So the, point, uh, the reason for bringing out that Jesus was in the beginning is to say Jesus has authority over what is next. And that's good news for us. Jesus was before you. So he's with you in whatever comes next. Number five... We follow Jesus because he put a comma after death. He put a comma after death. So we've already done the science portion of our message today. Now we're going to do the, the language arts portion. Verse 18, it says, He's the firstborn from the dead. Again, that doesn't mean that he was the first one to be raised from the dead. Because Jesus himself raised a few people from the dead. There was a little girl. There was a young man. There was Lazarus. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 1. The Bible says it in a different way. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus has been revealed. The resurrected Jesus has made an appearance to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos. And Jesus is speaking to him. And this is what it says in verse 18. Jesus is talking. And the living one, I died 
And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So it says, I died. And what comes after I died up here on the screens? Comma. Now, I'm not a scientist. I proved that earlier, right? But I would think that after you say, I died, that's a period. I died. End of story. Or... The way probably most of our, of our world feels, your friends, your family members feels about death, I died, question mark. I died and I'm not 100% sure what's happening to me next. I have some hopes, I have some theories, I've heard some messages before. Most of our culture would believe a sentence that says, I died, question mark. But Jesus puts the comma after death, I died, comma, and I am alive forevermore. He came through the other side of death. He's the firstborn of the dead, and he shares his comma with us. Nobody should leave today with a question mark after the sentence, I died. Because he can share his comma with you. I died, comma, and I live forevermore. That can be true for you, just like it's true for me. Number six, we follow Jesus because he ascends to the highest place in every place. He ascends to the highest place in every place. Back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 again. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now that word preeminent is a fancy way of saying first in rank. Now we love this feeling, don't we? We love when we are in a room that we are the first in rank. It feels good to be the most important person in any room. A couple of months ago, I got a phone call from a pastor that I had met a few times. He was he's in his 80s and just a legend of a pastor. If you said this guy's name in most of America, I mean, people would know who he was. Just this legend of a pastor. And he calls me and says, hey, I've heard some amazing things about Bayou City Fellowship. Can we go and have lunch together? I'd love to just, you know, just hear about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, this guy knows my name. That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And so we arrange when we're going to meet, show up to the restaurant. I mean, I dress up for crying out loud. I wear a sport coat. I mean, I'm, I'm all, you know, I tuck my shirt in. I did it right. And, uh, and I'm on my way. I'm thinking, man, what stories am I going to tell about our church just to show, like, how awesome the people are there and just how well it's going and, and fun. And so I got, I got a few stories, a few anecdotes all teed up, ready to go. And, and so we walk in together. We say hello there in the lobby. We walk in. We're getting ready to, to walk over to our table, and somebody who knows him comes over. This couple who knows him comes over, and so he has a conversation with them, and I go ahead and sit down in the booth, and, and he sits down, and he's like, oh, man, thank you so much for meeting with me. Tell me your name again. <laughs> I was crushed. Why? Because I thought that I was the most important person in the room for like a millisecond. Because it feels good when we are, doesn't it? It feels good when we're the center of attention. It feels good when we hold court among our coworkers and friends. But usually when I end up ascending to the highest place in any room, God is faithful to humble me all the way back down to the bottom. Listen, God will be faithful to you as well. To humble you out of the place of first rank. You know why? Because he loves Jesus. 
And because he loves Jesus, he has put so much authority and power and holiness and sacredness into the name of Jesus that God has said from the beginning in every room, in every place, this name goes straight to the top. Straight to the top. So at your work, I don't know whose name is at the top in whatever room you're going to end up tomorrow. Maybe your boss's name, maybe the CEO's name. It's not. It doesn't matter whose name is on the outside of the building. There's one name lifted up to the highest place in that place. And it is the name of Jesus, whether people acknowledge it or not. I don't know whose name is highest in your home. If it's the name of the husband or the name of the wife, it's neither one. The name of Jesus ascends to the highest place in your home. And when you and I, when we start acting like we are preeminent, like we are first in rank, God will humble you and he will humble me. Not because he doesn't love you and not because he doesn't think you're amazing. He just knows your name is secondary. It's never primary. Never. One name, one person ascends to the highest place and that is Jesus. And that's why we follow him. We want to back winners in our culture, don't we? We want to be a part of somebody who wins. Somebody who has authority. So just ask yourself, are you following the person who has the highest rank in every room? Or have you attached your name and your life to something secondary? And the last thing I want you to see, we follow Jesus, number seven, because the fullness of God lives in him. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is God the Son, humanity in divinity. He is the exalted son of God. And God's fullness lives in him. But have you ever met someone who has been exalted? Someone who got promoted? Somebody who used to live in an apartment like you lived in an apartment, but then they bought a house, but you were still in the apartment. Somebody who was a co-worker, but then something happened and some favor happened to them and they got lifted up and now suddenly they're your boss or they got moved to another department and you had to stay in the same place. What happens when somebody that we know gets exalted? What happens to the relationship? There's usually some distance there, right? It's just not the same as it was. Why? Because they got lifted up and you had to stay where you were. So there's distance there. But thankfully, verse 20 is the gospel. It is the good news. It says that Jesus is exalted, all seven of these things exalted to the highest place. Verse 20, this is the gospel, this is good news. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Here's the good news. When Jesus gets exalted, he doesn't put distance between you and him. When Jesus gets exalted, he brings you along with him. That's the gospel, that Jesus is like no one else. He is lifted up like no one else in the world. But he doesn't act too good for us. He doesn't put space in between us now. No, he says, I want you near me. 
he gets lifted up, you get lifted up. Who does that? Who does that? There's not one friend that you have who would get promoted to the highest place and bring you along with them. Not one. They would get exalted and you would stay where you were. But Jesus is exalted and he reconciles. And listen, he doesn't just reconcile by word. He reconciles you with his blood. The person in the highest place suffered the most for you. Endured the most for you. Didn't reconcile, bring you near by a command, but by his own blood. Who is this? Who is this? This is Jesus. And this is why we follow him. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would God, as we lift you up, Jesus, would you also bring us near? Would you show us that both can happen? When we have the highest reverence for you, we have the most intimacy with you. I want you to think back this in a moment of prayer so we get ready to transition. When was your moment in your life where you realized he was more than what you thought? He was greater, more forgiving, more grace-giving, more loving, more powerful. When was your, real, when was your moment where it, Jesus became even clearer to you. God, we yearn yearn for more moments like that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet and we're going to finish our services by transitioning to a time of ministry prayer. So if prayer ministry team would come forward, take their places here in the front, We do this every week because Jesus said that God's is a house of prayer. We've already told you that we believe in Jesus, and so we take his word seriously. And so if you're carrying something today that's heavy, it's too heavy for you, and you realize today, hey, I'm not the one who holds all things together. Maybe your soul needs to relax by coming in prayer. Jesus says, come to me, all who are heavy, uh, burdened, and I will give you rest. And so maybe that's what this prayer time can be for you. You're stressed out to the max because you've been trying to hold things together that are not your responsibility. So come and pray. Maybe you, there's somebody you care about and you're just longing for them to see Jesus the way that we've talked about in the scripture today. Come forward and pray for them. I think there's power for people who are not even in this room today. Jesus can meet them right where they are through the power of the Spirit of God. And your prayer may be what makes the difference. So come and pray for them. And if today you realize, maybe I have believed in Jesus in the sense that I've believed he's existed. But I didn't know he was like this. And you're ready to give your life to him in a real and meaningful way. And today's your day. 
cross over from death to life, for you to be reconciled with Jesus, not through your own good works, not through your own effort, but by the blood of the cross. And if that's you today, just come forward and say, I need Jesus. These people will know exactly what you're talking about. They'll pray with you, and you can leave today reconciled with God through Jesus. So, Father, we pray that you would help this time of ministry and prayer to be powerful and effective. We pray you would set people free. We pray that you would take away burdens. We pray that you would save the lost. We pray that you would make a difference in our lives right here in this prayer time. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's pray.